0: So, good evening again, I hope you have meanwhile arrived, fully, not just the body but also the mind, always take some time after kind of rushing around a whole day, maybe coming from work or from another duty and then... It takes some time for the body and the mind coming together. And then, you know, once you know we become aware of how we feel and you know how the body is right now that really helps us to fully be where we are. And I think the Buddha's teaching is, is all about in you know, appointing us into the right direction, which is where we are in the present moment, is where we can learn more about how we, you know, think, how our mind works, and also how, you know, the bigger context how that operates, and then through you know, shedding different levels of concepts, we arrive more and more at uh, clarity, which helps us to be more able to live our lives with less and less friction. Because, you know, our expectations... Change through getting to know the way things really are, rather than you know what we have uh, learned through our conditioning from the day we were born, or maybe even over lifetimes. If we can you know open up to that uh, way of thinking, and you know one way of summarizing the Buddha's teaching is you know the Buddha said. I teach about suffering and the end of suffering. That was one way and you know, of how he expressed what his teaching is all about, especially in the Theravada uh, presentation of the teaching, which I think is the basis of how Philip also teaches here. And... You the word suffering in the Pali language is often... Uh, or let's say the word Dukkha, which is one of the three characteristics of existence, is often translated as uh, suffering. But actually, you know, in the, uh, the original Pali word Dukkha doesn't mean suffering. It means rather unsatisfactoriness. Originally, you know, the word Dukkha consists of two parts. The first, the prefix do means difficult or kind of, you know, not really fitting. And the second part of the word car means uh, the axle of a wheel. So the hole in the center of a wheel where the axle is is um, inserted. And it means, you know, that this axle doesn't perfectly fit into the hole. So it isn't a perfect fit. And because of that, the wheel doesn 't run smoothly, and that's the example how how this unsatisfactoriness, which is one of the three characteristic characteristics of life, how that is illustrated, so you know basically it says this life is a rather bumpy ride, <laughs> and if we expect it to be a smooth ride, we will suffer. but if we can adjust ourselves you know if we can move with the bumps, then we won't suffer. But we rather, you know, understand how this process works better inside ourselves, so to say, and also outside. Even ultimately there is no inside and outside. But that's how we experience it as, as human beings. So the Buddha said this is his whole, you know, intention with trying to you know, share what he understood in the process which we call enlightenment. He understood that you know life process is unsatisfactory, which means it can't give us any lasting um, you know solutions for anything other than really opening up to impermanence, and that was his the first insight he had which sent him onto the path, basically. And, you know, the tradition has it that the Buddha was, um, as a young man, he grew up in quite privileged circumstances and it is said, you know, that for quite a long time he wasn't aware of of impermanence because he had they had so much uh, you know access to all kinds of entertainments and beautiful uh, people and beautiful clothes and good food and everything so he wasn't really aware that uh, you know that <coughs> there is actually a lot of uncertainty in this life and at one point he became tired of those uh, you know, different um, sense pleasures, and he he wanted to know more about life. And the story has it that he was going out with his charioteer into the town, and at that first outing, so to say, it mightn't have really been the first outing, but it was the first time that he became aware of certain sights which he had never really taken in consciously before even he had maybe seen those people but he hadn't really seen it with his heart he just saw it maybe with his eyes but he really didn't take it in and he saw what's called the divine messengers he saw a sick person he saw an old person and he saw a a dead person and and then, you know, when he saw them, he, he, he suddenly realized, you know, that he himself will also be sick, old, and he will die. And that came, you know, there was just a, a shocking um, recognition for him. And, and then, you know, at the end of this uh, outing, he also he saw what's called like a, a truth seeker. Like somebody who was uh, dressed, you know, in robes, and who was uh, obviously has dedicated his life for, you know, really investigating his own experience or her own experience and you know, have dedicated his life to really get deeply in touch with, with reality and he felt very inspired by that um, side and that was his entrance into the path. After that the story has it that he he lost uh, interest in his uh, privileged situation, and he chose to um, dedicate his life for you know trying to find the truth. And so this this you know experience of uh, having uh, so to say having a body as a, as a human being, which is um operating according to laws of nature which we can get to know and then we can you know we can adapt ourselves to those laws we can we can uh, accept them for what they are and then work together with those laws of nature but we can't stop them happening and this you know can be a very sobering insight when we really Start to notice that that doesn't happen only for other people. It happens also for ourselves. So that is a contemplation which we, as as monastics, you know, we are taught to every day contemplate that, to every day contemplate the fact that our bodies do age, and they get sick, and they're going to die. and it's considered, you know, that these contemplations, if you really take them deep, that they give us a sense of urgency for practice. So it's, it's considered a very good thing to con- make, to do these contemplations every day. And, you know, our culture, our upbringing doesn't encourage us at all. We, our culture tries to kind of hide those facts. And, you know, if you look at how we live, especially here in the West, we, we try to, um, you know, separate those things out. People who, you know, undergo this laws of nature in a big way who are maybe very ill or who are very old, we, we it's very difficult actually to... See them if we are not having them in our own families. So this is, you know, something we have to really uh, make a, an effort to to consider. And you know, I wanted to speak about that today because I, I feel that you know nowadays, by we not only have our personal bodies, you know, we can contemplate. But it's even you know now happening in a much bigger way with um, when we are you know becoming aware of what changes our planet is undergoing right now, because a similar process becomes apparent now for for us when we are hearing about climate change, because our planet is also quite sick right now. And if we don't pay attention to that then you know we don't know what's going to happen because we have never you know as a human race we have never been in such a situation we are here on this planet for about 250,000 years now and it has never been that way and you know I think it's very important to you know nowadays to extrapolate these these reflections about old age, sickness and death towards our personal body to extend that to the planet also. And to just you know take the teachings of the Buddha further and and you know see our personal suffering and the ways how we are coping with that in, in a much larger context. Because, you know, when the Buddha was walking the planet about 2,500 years ago, the the situation was very different. That, you know, climate change definitely was not an issue. And, it you know, people were under the impression that this planet and this uh, earth, you know, is, is kind of... The resources and, and the earth, you know the, the air, the water, it's all limitless because there were so um, small amount of people was living on the planet, maybe like much, much less people, maybe a fifth or even less than that. So it that wasn't an issue, the Buddha did not speak about that, but he did speak about you know that <coughs> There are world systems arising and ceasing. So he, he spoke about that, but he didn't speak about it in terms of you know uh, an experience you can have within your own lifetime because those changes, they are on such a big scale that we can't really witness them with our eyes. But you know, because modern science has has developed lots of uh, different tools, you know, where, they, where we can look nowadays. Uh, you know, into the past, we can look into the future, we can go into the depths. We we have extended our sense organs in such a way that we can actually witness some of those changes now. And you know, one of the um, results of that is that we know that. This climate change which is is taking place now and which is is going into a direction which is really very very um, um, disconcerting if if we if we think about future generations and about the responsibility we have for future generations that uh, we need, to find, uh, we need to find ways how we can uh, have this information translate into action. Because I think there's quite a few people who know about those facts, and I'm one of those people, and I've read quite a lot about it, but I also really, I came here with, with somebody driving me with a car, and I'm going to go back, because I wouldn't even know how to get back otherwise. Because their systems are not in place. So, you know, the question is how can we, you know, as a society, translate the information into action? You know, and the teaching of the Buddha is all about it's, it's a lot of, is a whole uh, array of skillful means how we can, you know, translate the information, for example, about hearing about old age sickness and death, hearing about impermanence. <coughs> How we can translate this information really into action, let it really sink in into our being so that our actions are informed by that information. Because there seems to be the disconnect, you know, there's a lot of books and and websites and everything is is there, you know, where you can see the the warming and and where where you can see the prediction for the future that If we don't make some real big changes, you know, around 2030, we will have reached, you know, a a degree of warming where some, you know, very dangerous feedback loops could kick in, which then, you know, are unstoppable, basically. But if we would now really start to change our ways, we actually could contain the warning in manageable levels but somehow as a society we are not able to actually organize ourselves and it's not I'm just part of I'm not thinking that I'm good at that either you know I just try to uh, kind of reflect on the fact that we have so much information because science is so advanced but somehow you know we do lack the uh connection between the heart and the information we somehow those channels they are so clogged up with conditioning we, we don't really can bring it home in a way so that we live accordingly and this is exactly you know what the buddha was already saying 2500 years ago you know did we see all of those things going on but kind of you know we, we live like they wouldn't so what's going on here, really? Why why are we like that? Including myself, of course, you know. And somehow, you know, we, we, we are not really aware that we are all part of this uh, planet Earth because we live on it like... Uh, if, you know, if it would be just some kind of you know, environment where we can just take what we want and, and dump what we don't need, and then just uh, it will just kind of be, be cleaned up by somebody else, you know. But who, who is that somebody? And I find it very interesting, you know, to reflect on, on the word ecology. The word ecology is the, word, the first part of the word eco. It comes from from the Greek language. And originally it comes from the word oikos, which means house or home. So ecology means, you know, to study one's home. (coughs) And also the word economy comes from the same root. And economy means, you know, to look after one's home, to look after one's house. And the word, I have looked it up on... Wikipedia. That's why I know it. <laughs> and I've looked it up. The word economy, for example, was used for the first time in the 14th century in a book about, you know, how to, how to look after a monastery. Actually, about you know certain rules and regulations. And the word economy was used there for the first time at, at thing, administration. You know, so how how do we look after this house in the best possible way so we can live? A, you know a healthy life and we can leave behind you know a, a, a house which is good enough for other people to enjoy it as well after we have gone and somehow you know we are not we are not doing that actually because we live here in a way like you know like some teenagers might might live you know who who don't care what's What's gonna come tomorrow because they they trust you know that that the parents will will take care of everything they haven't yet made the connection between you know where the food comes from and 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 how difficult it is you know to keep a house clean they just They are just like mindless, and this is exactly how we live also. But because we don't, you know, see our lives in a bigger context, we, we haven't really understood it enough. Because if we would have, we, we would live differently. So it's very interesting, you know, to see ego, which is about, you know, the limited self, or, you know, the self which doesn't really understand the bigger context and eco which is the bigger self or the bigger context. And if we are able, you know, to see ourselves within a bigger context, to see our own lives within a bigger context, if we could, you know, make much of that, that would be actually a way how we can, you know, step out of this identification with you know, just our own, you know, likes and and dislikes, and see see life in, in a bigger context. And this is, you know, what the teaching, you know, wants to open us up to. It really wants to point us towards the dissonance, you know, which we do experience in life, but in this kind of consumerist culture we are brought up in, we tend to always, you know, go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. We never turn towards the dissonance because we haven't been trained in doing that. And, you know, in the Buddhist teaching, is all about, you know, giving us different means, you know, to turn towards it. And to trust, you know, that the healing direction is inside of the suffering, really. Only by turning towards it can we, you know, we kind of, we break through the delusion of uh, our own conditioning, of the identification with our own thinking about the way things are and through this uh, opening it goes, that the, the doorway is the suffering itself. And I think there's this book of, of Philip Moffat about dancing with life, it's all about that as well. I think where he speaks, uh, he lays out the ground plan of the Four Noble Truths, which is also like the essence of the Buddha's teaching, you know, where he says, in the first noble truth, that there is suffering. Or another word is there is dissonance in life. There is unsatisfactoriness in life. And the healing lies in turning towards it rather than turning away from it. And I think, you know, modern consumerist culture isn't very good in turning towards dissonance. It's very good in turning towards the next thing and the next thing. And you know, and the planet is now very sternly saying to us, "You know, we have to wean ourselves off from the dependence on the next thing and the next thing, because we just don't have the means, you know We are living far beyond our means. You know, American culture lives, and I've read lives like we would have six planets full of, you know, resources we could, we could you know, kind of exploit, so to say. But we really do not have that. We have just one, and it's on its last legs, you know, in terms of being able to sustain the human species. It will happily live on, of course, you know, but we won't be part of it. And we're taking down with us, you know, many, many other species as well. So I don't say that, you know, to kind of uh, put blame on anybody because I don't think, you know, we we have been aware of this as a society for more than 30 years or so and because we are very slow learners, you know, it takes us a long time really to translate that information into action. But now, you know, circumstances become more and more pressing really. And if we don't, you know, really change our ways in a big, big way in the next, it's said, you know, till 2020, so to say, then, you know, we, we really run into the possibility that, you know, very severe changes will take place, which will make it very difficult for a human being to stay on here. Because there'd be a lot of uh, shortages, you know, of many, many things. Food, water, air, soil, you name it. And there'd be lots of illnesses and, you know, lots of um, climate change, refugees, and lots of uh, shortage of resources. So, you know, we're looking towards a future which is you know, extremely um, bumpy, really. And, you know, and some of this, uh, these facts, they are just inherent in the human existence. For example, old age sickness and death, I mean, there's nothing we can do about that. It's just part of the human experience and it has a beauty to it. Because, you know, it's it's just like a process which is enabling, you know, flowers to kind of, you know, they come out and then they are at the height of their beauty, then they go back into the earth and then they come out again. And the human body is just like that. It's it's a very amazing um, process which has such a tremendous intelligence built into it. You know, the human mind is only, can only kind of go blank. But then there's, there's, there's other things, you know, like how we live on the planet, where we do have a choice, we can live differently. That kind of suffering is not inherent in human existence. That is more like uh, a result of ignorance. And there, you know, we can do something about it. Because we don't need to live how we do live. It's not, it's not needed to live in this kind of way, you know, really um, squandering the resources in the way we do. And, and I've brought a, a quote of uh, he is a Christian priest. His name is Thomas Berry. He died maybe like 20 years ago or so. And I found a very powerful quote, very short one. And he says, the universe itself is the primary sacred scripture. So you know, to, to look at the process of, of the evolution of the universe, you know, which modern science says, you know, this, this universe we are living in has, you know, is now going on since like over 13 billion years. And it started with what's called the Big Bang, and now you know this planet here has developed so amazing uh life forms and we are one of those so this process is a very myst- has a very mysterious intelligence built into it and it's going towards you know ever greater complexity and it's going towards ever greater levels of inclusion and also uh, greater levels of diversity. Mm -hmm. So, and as the human race, I think what that means is, you know, greater levels of inclusion and diversity is to see ourselves, you know, not on top of the planet and all the different species which are here. They are not here for our use, but it's more like we are just one of them. And you know the meditation is is a technology which can which we can use, you know, to tear away those veils of, of delusion which you know make us believe that we are separate from everything else. And that we can somehow um you know control this. Even you know, there's so much information which tells us that we can't because otherwise we wouldn't have created such a mess you know you would be really able to control it because I think the intentions were good but obviously you know the ignorance was so big we, we did not know so many things which we thought were not having real value you know like nowadays we know if, if just you know one kind of insect dies out a whole process you know of um, is interrupted, for example. We, we just didn't know any better. But now we do, you know, we start to understand that there's so much which we cannot fathom with our little minds. So I think it's very important to, you know, to develop this kind of uh, respect for, for that which we do not know. And it is kind of difficult, you know. But I think, you know, the practice is there for, exactly for that. Because, you know, one other central insight the Buddha had, when he, you know, experienced what's called enlightenment, was the insight into emptiness or in the pali canon it's it's often expressed as not self or anatta which means you know that the way how we understand reality when we look at it with our you know with our senses when we touch things or when we see things or when we Hear things, taste things, and so on. This is one way you know how we can uh, interpret experience, but this is not really reality in the in the ultimate sense because with our sense organs, we do experience ourselves as separate entities and you know, are walking around and doing things. but in reality this is not the way things are; we are all part of something much bigger than ourselves and you know this is this being part of something much bigger than ourselves is is a responsibility and at the same time a, a great privilege also because we are we sustain ourselves through that but in in terms of you know of, of awareness and consciousness we somehow seem to be like teenagers because we are we are just like if you've had children i didn't have children but i i have read in you know in psych- psychology books you know teenagers they they want to be independent they want to do what they like but at the same time they want to be taken care of by their parents, you know. And this is, this is our level of uh, consciousness in terms of how we live on this planet. We just want to take whatever we like, but we don't want to have any rules to live by. So we want to have, you know, the best of everything. And, you know, and now our, our parents, so to say, if we want to call the planet our parents, you know, shows us the limits and says, no, stop now, you know, you can't, you can't go this way any longer. You have to turn inwards and, and learn to live with dissonance, you know, learn to live with greed and hatred and learn to transform it rather than try to always get your way. And this is, you know, what maturity is all about, to be able to know what you are feeling and to be able to to, to hold this feeling and not necessarily act on it. And, and the teachings are, you know, giving us different tools so that we can develop the, the strength to be with what is and you know, go through it and come out at the other end and respond in a way which is appropriate to the situation. And this is a quote from, um, from a, a Norwegian eco-philosopher. His name is Anna Ness, and he says, When we perceive our deeper identity as an ecological self that includes not just us, but also all life on earth, then acting for the sake of our world doesn't seem like a sacrifice. It seems a natural thing to do. And you know, and it is exactly that uh, ability to perceive our deeper identity, which, you know, we have to train ourselves to be able to do that. Because We have to really be able to stay long enough with our experience so we can go deeper. And, you know, the the meditation teachings are the skillful means how we can work on the deepening and on the letting go of uh, identifying with, you know, more surface concepts which the our culture is kind of bombarding us with all the time, especially the media, you know. The media are just very irresponsible and it takes a lot of strength, you know, to really stay alert. And you know, coming you know, coming to a Sangha like this on a regular basis is, is a very powerful reminder, you know, that we we have to help each other to really stay vigilant with this. Because you know, there's a lot of um, you know, let's say the you know, what is on stake is just Immense right now, and it's very very difficult to stay conscious of it because you know wherever you go, you are bombarded with uh, messages which which point into all different directions, only not in, in the most important one. So. I hope you know, that um, you'll know, be willing to take in that, that message, which I try to give. It's not very pleasant, most likely. But I think it's, it's important. And I think you know, we have a very powerful opportunity for practice now, because you know, there's nowhere to run anymore. Really, we can only you know escape into awareness right now because the planet has become a very small place now with over seven billion people, so the only place to go is is to be to wake up so in in terms of of practice it 's a very good opportunity because you know there's many Delusions we just can't have anymore. So, in terms of practice, it's it's a, it's a very powerful time. And also, and I want to end by also saying, you know that we. Do have all of the skills and all of the uh, knowledge, you know, to to make the changes which need to be made. It is just like that, you know, the communication that the media are not willing to to make that known because they are kind of supported, you know, by businesses which. Which have a lot of investment in the old ways of doing things, and they don't support information which is would end their dominion over you know our bank accounts so this is you know this is the conundrum how to um Support the you know dissemination of this information, and and I think you know we can all do our part. I certainly try to do that and try to really you know make much of of. Uh, trying to remind, you know, in in the teaching evenings, you know, we are having in the Bay Area or other places to just bring that now into the teaching more and more and also, you know, work with all of the feelings which, which it brings up within myself and also, you know, within uh, the Sangha, and seeing also the the changes, you know, because a few years ago people weren't really very interested in that, but now there's more and more uh, capacity and and space for people to, that they want to hear it, and that's that's a very good uh, development. So there's, there's like, I think five, 10 minutes left. If, if there's any questions, please ask. And do you have a microphone here? Mm-hmm. You wanna? Yeah. The lady in
1: a second. Oh, there. There was a meeting at Spirit Rock recently of teachers. Yeah. And I know that they were encouraged to talk more about environmental issues. I'm wondering if you were at that meeting. Yes, I was. And I'm wondering what monasteries are doing, if any policy changes have happened. I mean, we look to you for leadership. Yeah. and, And I appreciate the subject being covered. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if your monastery or your, your, your group has done anything like Meatless Mondays or, you know, I don't know. We whether. have
0: meatless every day. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: But, um, I'm just wondering how huh? the community of monastics is trying to set the agenda for the rest of us.
0: I mean, you know, it's, it's all of the Dhamma teachers which, which were... It was one of the main themes of the teachers' meeting. And also we are having, you know, there was one man, he is um, one of the top advisors on climate change for the Obama administration, and he has been giving a presentation to the teachers, and then we have formed uh, a group, and actually we have our first conference call on the 17th of this month, and we're going to... to you know, together, develop ways how we can bring it more into the teaching. And we also have gotten very good information, you know, presented in a simple way what's going on. And uh, I think we are working on having an Earth Care Week in the first week of October. You know, and all of the teachers connected with Spirit Rock, IMS, House in England and Beatenberg in Switzerland, we all want to work together on this. And we personally, our little Vihara, we we go to different rallies on on climate change. Just been on the 20th of June, there was a a rally about, uh, you know, trying to stop the pipeline and there was a rally at the Golden Gate Bridge. I was there. And there's a very big rally organized for the 3rd of August um, in Richmond, I'm walking to the Chevron refinery in Richmond. And that's exactly one year after when there was the big explosion. And it's, all, it's, it's a rally demanding the transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy and I'm going to be there as well, and please join us. We meet at 10 a.m. at the BART station in Richmond.
1: What's
0: the date? 3rd of August. It's a Saturday. 3rd of August. And it's all over the Internet, so. And if you can, you can visit our website. It's all there under what's new. It's also on the homepage. You can click. And be very happy to meet you there at that rally. Yeah, and it's all non-violent and it's all peaceful. And people are, uh, you know, encouraged to bring a sunflower as a weapon with you. Yes. And I, I feel, you know, that it's that, that um, concern, you know, how, how we leave this planet for future generations, which, you know, which brings people from all walks of life together because we share this responsibility together. And we have to start somewhere, you know. It's, it's not clear how all of this will unfold, but we don't need to know. Because we are all part of this planet and we can trust that if we really start to listen collectively to what is needed, we will find a way to do it, you know. We just have to start, we don't have to know the whole thing. You just need to know the next step, just like life, you know. It's not different from life. It's just part of life. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I kinda wanna make a comment more than a uh-huh. question. Um, it's fine to and to go and Protest at a refinery, and that. But I think that the reality is, every person as an individual, and what they can do in their life is what's most important. How you know where does your water come from? Most people don't know. And uh, how do you heat your home? Maybe you can make changes. Maybe. You can use public transportation more. Maybe you can get a different kind of car or whatever. Or there's just so many things that from like um, using a bag at, to go to the grocery store and, and how we recycle our garbage. Just so many personal things that we just take for granted. And it has to be start from us And, of course, we need to reach out to our families and the community, but the us part, the me, um, we're not doing. I think it's both is important,
0: you know. The systems have to change. Mm -hmm. Us little beings, we also have to do what we can, but we can only do also what the systems support us to do, you know. So we have both, you have to look at what you do, but we also have to collectively act. I think, you know. So it's it's everything. You know, everybody has to find their own ways. Uh, you know, to to respond, of course. Yeah. But I think to collectively respond by, you know, urging the administrations of of our different, you know, uh, areas in society that that the big changes, they also have to be implemented. So it's, it's, all, it's all important, you know. And it has, you know, many times, uh, yeah, humanity has, has uh, given up an old world to you for a new one. You know, we have like, you know, 250,000 years ago, we've been living in caves. Now, we don't live in caves anymore. Or just as a few people, maybe you know so we have many times already left behind old ways old ways of doing things so you know we are good at that but every time you know before you do it you think oh, this, I can't do it you know it's too much because we are afraid of, of the that we don't know but we have stepped into the not knowing so many times you know when you were giving birth to a child I mean you didn't know before how it is and you, you did it you know somehow it came out and That's again like this, you know, by just opening to it. And I'd like to end with a really lovely, I mean, not lovely, but beautiful quote by by Joanna Macy. If a hole appears, just walk through it. See what's on the other side. You'll never be lost, because this emptiness is central to life, figured into the nature of all things. You know and the, the whole is is maybe you know not knowing how to respond, but to just really you know open up to not knowing how to respond, other than the next step. You know to just for example, right now you don't know how to respond, and I also don't really know how to respond. But for example, the, what you can do right now is you can keep your heart open to this information, even if it's very uncomfortable, and you might maybe feel like, you know, I don't want to know, and then you go to your car and go home and eat something, turn on the TV and forget about it. Or you just kind of consciously keep your heart open you go home and maybe you you start to read something about this, you know. Look up 350.org or Sierra Club or whatever, you know, and maybe, you know, join such a site where you get regular information about these things. And you just, you know, put your toe into the water and go a step further and go a step further and do what you can rather than turning away from it. That's how it starts. And that would be a good thing to do.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash on it.